Good morning. So I'm reading from Psalm 97. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries all around. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all the people see his glory. All the worshippers of images are put to shame, who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. Zion hears and is glad, and the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O Lord. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. O you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the lives of his saints. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. Thank you, Lorraine. We are in our series for the summer called Summer in the Psalms, and we're looking at a, a number of psalms from about Psalm 90 to Psalm 107 over the course of the summer. And the sermon title for today in reflection of Psalm 97 uh, is No One Higher. No One Higher. And to set things up, let me ask you, are you familiar with the acronym G-O-A-T, GOAT? Anyone familiar with GOAT? What does GOAT stand for? Anybody? Greatest of all time. And you probably know that because you're a bit of a sports guy, right? Okay. And I got to admit that it was weird for me. I'm a little slow in the uptake, and I'm not saying because you don't know what GOAT means is that you're slow in the uptake. But anyhow, it took me a while to figure out what GOAT stood for. People were calling some very talented people and athletes and, and people who had all kinds of you know, competent skills. They would call them a GOAT. And I'm thinking, why would you call someone that is that amazing a goat, all right? You know, you're calling them a nasty, dirty, smelly, annoying farm animal. That is not a compliment. But then I Googled it, and then I figured this thing out. And if you're, you're a goat, you are the greatest of all time. And on, on social media, the term goat is a big thing. And determining, though, just who precisely is the greatest of all time, who is really a true goat, that's a constant source of argument in the social media world. For example, in the NBA, National Basketball Association, is Michael Jordan the GOAT or is LeBron James the GOAT? I kind of lean towards Michael. In hockey, is it Gordie Howe or is it Mario Lemieux or is it, of course, it's Wayne Gretzky. Am I right? I mean, of course. Uh, classical music, let's look at this genre uh, category. Is Bach the GOAT or is Beethoven the GOAT? In my view, I think it's Mozart is the greatest of all time in terms of classical music. You might recall a few years ago, does anybody watch the CBC anymore? A few of you? There's some, probably some good stuff there. There's a few CBC people out there. And on the CBC a few years ago, they had a show uh, called The Greatest Canadian of All Time, essentially. The great, who is the greatest Canadian? And a, a number of, and so they asked Canadians across the land, whoever happened to be watching the CBC, they asked them to, to vote online so they could figure out who would be the Canadian GOAT. And Don Cherry made the top 10. Gretzky made the top 10. David Suzuki, the tree hugger, made the top 10. John A. Macdonald, in all his drunken glory, the first prime minister of, of Canada, he was on that list, I think, as well. Basically, the guy was drunk all the time and somehow 
managed to run our country. And sure enough, who was the winner of that greatest, the GOAT, the Canadian version of the GOAT? The winner happened to be a guy by the name of Tommy Douglas. Tommy Douglas is a former pastor, but became a politician, and he is really seen as the father of Medicare. So the fact that we don't have to pay $50,000 for an MRI here in Canada, well, we can sort of attribute that to Tommy Douglas's uh, inspiration and direction. So, you know, he's not exactly the the front runner in my mind, but he he was according to Canadians. And when it comes to goats, the greatest of all time people, what do we want to do with our goats? I know this sounds weird, but bear with me. We want to get in on the greatness in some way. We want to hitch, hitch your wagon to a goat. Because if I can connect myself with a goat, if I can connect myself to this greatest of all time person, and I believe they're the greatest of all time, well, that allows me to sort of participate in their greatness and maybe share, at least in a small way, with their identity to, to basically, I want to get in on some of what they have, and I want what they have to rub off on me, and even in a small way, all right? I want to benefit from sort of hitching my wagon to them, and I want to gain some benefit from that. Uh, so here's the thing, though. Here's my point. In Psalm 97 that Lorraine read for us, it is actually all about you and I, if we are trusting in the Lord, it's all about you and I hitching our wagon to the greatest of all time, bar none, the Lord himself, the God of the universe, no one higher than him. Therefore, no one better for you to hitch your wagon to. No one better for you to identify your life with. No one better for you to trust in and to follow in some way. Here's, I mean, if the Bible says God is sovereign, He is, there is no one higher in authority than God Himself. There, nothing that God sets out to do is impossible for God to do. He never fails, all right? No one and no thing ever stands in the way of God accomplishing His perfect and holy will. So if that's who God is, how could you not, how could I not want to entrust my life to someone like this who loves me more than anyone else does, someone who possesses not only infinite power but infinite love and mercy and grace to cover all of our sins because of Christ's cross, how could we not hitch our wagon to someone who is for us and is great like that? So today is all about how God's highness should translate, or hopefully translate, into you experiencing more, uh, experiencing more uh, spiritual assurance and heartfelt trust in Him. So that's my goal, that you will experience some of that today. All right, what I want to do initially is give you a big view, a big picture view of this psalm, a quick overview. And as you may know, the psalms were originally written as songs. All right, so if if Lorraine was reading that Psalm 97 today, uh, it would have been more appropriate for her to, to sing that, but I didn't want to put that on you. Uh, <laughs> and that would be very difficult. Are you a singer? You know, you're not a singer. Okay, gotcha. Maybe next time we'll arrange that. No, I'm just... <laughs> I'm not a singer myself either. So anyhow, so they were designed to be sung by groups of God's people gathering uh, together. And basically... Um, uh, where, where am I? So ba- here's what I want to do. 
I want to give you one big overarching point, and then there's going to be uh, several sub-points under the big point that are all connected to the big point, okay? So um, that's what we're going to look at, and we're just going to get right, right into it here. Uh, first of all, in your notes, number one is this. This is the big massive point uh, that encapsulates what Psalm 97 is all about, and here it is. There's a sermon outline in your bulletin if you do want to follow along. Number one is the Lord's kingship and rule over all creation assures us, the faithful, of his final victory over evil and idolatry. The Lord's kingship and rule over all creation assures us, the faithful, of his final victory over evil and idolatry. In other words, think about it. If the person that you are following is completely and utterly in charge of everything, and and if this person you are following, if he wins in the end, then what does that fill you with? It fills you with assurance, a great sense of everything's going to be okay. Despite what is going on in our crazy world, it's going to be okay because you are with, connected to, you are following, you are entrusting your life to the king of the entire universe, and really he's got the whole world, the song is true, he's got the whole world in his hands. That's the kind of person we are following. And that's why verse 1 says, the Lord reigns, therefore... The Lord reigns, therefore, let the earth rejoice. Look, it even mentions the West Coast, not West Coast Church, but the West Coast, the lower mainland, if you will. It says, let the many coastlands be glad. That's us. Let us be glad because we're on the coast and we're part of the coastlands. Now, back to this idea of assurance. We don't often use that word assurance, do we? But when I was a kid, I had no idea how good I had it No bills to pay as a kid. No mortgage to fret over as a kid. No worries if there was going to be food on the table for, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. No worries about enough clothes to wear. No no worries about was I going to have enough presents on Christmas or birthdays. And that's not the case for everybody, but I had no worries about that sort of thing. Now, why did I not have any worries? Well, here's why. Mom and dad took care of all those needs and all those Uh, blessings that I had. I had no idea how good I had it. Now I do, because I'm on the other side of that equation. I'm the sort of, and my wife are providers for our kids. Um, And thinking back on those fantastic days of my childhood, it wasn't perfect, but generally it was pretty darn good. Uh, Not having to worry about any of those things for my life, what sort of low-grade emotional state was I living in as a kid? It was a low-grade sense of assurance. Everything was going to be okay. Why? Why was everything going to be okay? Because mom and dad were in charge of our household, and because they were in charge of our household, they were taking care of all of the needs that I had at that time. My life, my life as a kid was secure under their leadership. And so it is with our great king of the universe, in whom Christians trust and believe in and give their lives to, He is large and in charge. He's over and above all things. He will ensure justice is meted out in the end. So the victory in the end over evil is his. It's done. It's certain. There's no question about it. Therefore, if that's the case, you can, and I hope that you will experience, if you're with Christ, a great sense of assurance confidence in him. If you're with God, if you're with Jesus, trusting in him, you've given your life to him, repented of your sins, 
You've got nothing to worry about. It's all going to be okay. Isn't that good? There's assurance. There's assurance. And the first little point that helps us to know that everything is going to be okay is little a a in your notes, is namely this. His victory is proven by his dominance over nature. So we can look to nature for a bit of a hint that he is someone worth uh, relying on and and being assured by. Uh, God's dominance over nature proves that he is able to dominate over evil. His dominance over nature proves that he is able to dominate evil as well. Verses 4 and 5 talk about how the lightning which the Lord makes lights up the world. And sometimes lightning makes people tremble, and every time lightning makes make dogs tremble. Do they not? Does anyone have a dog here that freaks out when there's lightning and thunder going on? Yeah, it's a big deal. Milo, does Milo freak out? Uh, kind of, okay, yeah. So, yeah, it, it happens. And there's a reason for that, because that dog is getting a bit of a glimpse of God's greatness in that moment. He's the one who makes lightning and thunder. Then it talks about how the mountains melt like wax before the Lord. And that sounds kind of weird, and it's possible, we don't know for sure, that the writer of this psalm may have a volcano in mind. If you look at a volcano, what comes out of that volcano? Molten rock, which is very much melted kind of rock here. But the point is this. Seeing lightning and, and hearing the thunder that lightning produces, or seeing a, a volcano melt and be blown up and blown to smithereens like Mount St. Helens from, I think, 1980, well, all of that reminds us of the Lord's great strength over nature. And if he's, he's got that kind of strength and control over nature, he's also got that kind of strength and control over evil. He dominates nature. He dominates evil. This is reassuring to us, reassuring to you, and, and encouraging to us as well. I, I pray that is the case. That's little a. Next point in your notes about why the Lord's kingship over all creation and victory over evil gives us assurance is little b in your notes. Here it is. His victory is proven when he judges his adversaries. This is a bit of a negative point, but this is true. His victory over evil and idolatry is proven when he judges his adversaries. Verse 3 talks about how fire goes before God. And then, what does that fire do? It actually burns up his adversaries and enemies from all around, meaning God is capable and able to completely and utterly clear away erase all opposition to him. That's not a problem for God. You might recall back in, I think it started in May 2016, the Fort McMurray fire. Um, That was pretty devastating. That fire in Fort McMurray, Alberta, uh, it, it, it obliterated large portions of the city and of that area it actually forced the entire city to be evacuated. So imagine 80,000 people trying to bust out of town and run away from this raging forest fire. It actually destroyed more than 2,400 buildings. A total of 6,000 square kilometers were burned up by this fire. And just like, you know, there was a sense, uh, the people in Fort McMurray, there was a sense that there's nothing we can do to stop this nasty fire. We can't get in the way of its very aggressive push. Well, in, that, in like manner, there is nothing that evil and idolatry can do to stand in the way of the fire and judgment of God. There's no point. He's all-powerful. And it's this kind of God who is for us, who meets out his perfect judgment without fail against evil and against idolatry. That actually, that sounds very negative, but that should actually be very hopeful 
Because very often in this world, do we get justice? Sometimes. But very often, we don't get justice, and we live in a very unjust kind of world. But we can be assured by this truth in Psalm 97, he's going to meet out, his fire goes before him. He will do justice for us in the end. We don't need to exert justice in and of ourselves, okay? He is for us, not against us. He will bring about justice on our behalf. That is a very good thing. Let's move on to little C in your notes. You ready for this? Little C is this. His victory is seen when all people see his glory displayed in the heavens. His victory is assured and seen when all people see his glory displayed. Verse 6 talks about how the heavens proclaim The heavens are preaching a sermon. Did you know that? The heavens are preaching a sermon, even today, during daylight, and even at nighttime. And and they proclaim and they preach the righteousness of God. And all people actually see His glory. And this fits in with a well-known doctrine called general revelation. General revelation, how God reveals Himself to the world in a general way. There's also the other flip side of general revelation is something called special revelation. Bear with me. And the special revelation would be Scripture, where it's more specific, okay? And then we learn about the gospel. We learn about more detail with respect to Jesus and what his purposes were. But general revelation can be explained very nicely by Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Let me read this for you. It's on the screen. Here's what it says. For his, this is God's, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So what this means is God's awesome attributes and his qualities and his eternal power and divinity can be seen where? On the West Coast, certainly. And this is, we live, I think, in the most beautiful place in the world. We can see in, in, in the things that have been made. All right? We look at the mountains. We look at the oceans. We look at the sky and the heavens. And what these attributes of nature are doing is giving you and I a glimpse, a sneak preview, if you will. Even if you're not yet a Christian, you are seeing the glory and evidence of God. Isn't that cool? That's why we have a sense of awe. Even if we're not a follower of God or a believer of God, we still have a sense of awe when you're on the top of Mount Seymour in the winter or the summer and you get a glimpse of all the surrounding area. That's actually pointing you to God. You're in awe of God because he's the maker of all those things. Let me tell you a quick story. Back in the day, I grew up on a farm. This sounds like such a likely story. I grew up on a farm way back in the day. Way back in the day, I, I was born at a young age. There we go. And I was born on a farm just outside of Grand Prairie, Alberta. And the winters in Grand Prairie, it's basically 14-hour fourteen drive, 14 hour drive north. And so you can only imagine what the climate is like in Grand Prairie. It's very cold. You basically get two and a half months to grow your garden. I mean, that is brief. Eight to nine months of winter, it's not pretty. And the winters are very long, and therefore the winters are also very dark. But the one good thing about long, dark winters is you can see the stars on clear nights in, in such a way that you're, you're just in awe. You can actually see the Milky Way in full view. You don't have to squint. You don't need binoculars to see the Milky Way. It's just fantastic. And there's no way that you can see the night sky in the dead of winter in Grand Prairie on a farm outside of the city. There's no way that you cannot not say boring. That is not boring, let me reassure you. I was in awe as a kid of God's handiwork, just the billions of stars that were up there in the Milky Way and the galaxies that I was viewing. And if you're a follower of God and you have knowledge of God and who He is, 
you see, you see the stars in that kind of way, and you say, look how great he is. There's billions of stars in this vast universe. God is bigger than that, and he made it all. And there's this sense of his greatness and his size. And when you look at the vast night sky, my point is this. Let the heavens, let the beauty of nature, some of you are camping this weekend, some of you will be camping this summer, would you let nature give you a sense of awe of the glory of God, of his bigness, of his creativity, of his intelligence, and let that sense just remind you that you can rest assured if if God can make all this beautiful stuff, he is more than, and he's capable of making everything, well, he's more than capable uh, of meeting out justice over your, the injustice that you suffer and, and, and bring about justice over evil. He can do that because he made all things. See what I mean? Let's move on to little point D in your notes. Here's what it is. His victory, God's victory is proven when he will expose idolatry for what it is. His victory is proven when he will expose idolatry for what it is. And we get this from verse 7, if you have that in front of you. In verse 7, and I paraphrase, it says, everyone who worships a God replacement, an idol, will be what? It says, will be put to shame in the end. So it's not a worthy investment to worship a God replacement. Today, we don't tend to worship sort of figurines, even though there are some religions that do worship figurines. Ancient peoples worshipped, you know, a a wooden statue of a god or a stone statue or a golden statue or a silver statue. But today's modern idols and modern god replacements are things like money and and sex and power and technology or or perhaps your career or perhaps your kids or perhaps your house or perhaps your car and your fashion and perhaps yourself. That's really kind of what it often boils down to is I want to worship myself. It's all I talk about. It's all I think about. It's all I work for. It's a little dicey, not just a little dicey. And the Bible's very clear that if you and if I seek anything in your life more than Jesus, it will actually result in you experiencing deep unhappiness, deep disillusionment, deep anger, deep unsatisfaction. So if you're experiencing these very negative emotions, Ding, that's the heads up. Something is disordered. Jesus is kind of down the line of other things that have taken his place in your life. So that you use those negative emotions to get down to, okay, what am I really living for? What am I really driving towards? All right? Your God replacement does not have the power to satisfy your soul. Only God himself through Jesus Christ has the power to, to give you living water that will produce soul satisfaction. He's the one you need. He's the one you really need. The Bible says this, uh, God is a jealous God. I remember Oprah, Oprah Winfrey a few years ago really struggled with that idea that God is a jealous God, and she has her own reasons for that. I actually really like the fact that God is jealous for, for me. He's jealous for me. I mean, if someone is pursuing you, don't you want them to be jealous for you? I mean, if you're in, in a relationship, and a relationship with God is different, but God is, is jealous for your attention, he, 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 he knows that the best thing for you and the best thing for me is for, for him to be number one in your life. He doesn't want you to miss out on soul satisfaction. He doesn't want you to miss out on the benefits that erupt in your life when God is at the center of your life and he is your first and foremost love. All right? And so in the end, as I close this point, in the end, on Judgment Day, 
God will expose idolatry for what it is, and this will only prove his great victory over evil. That should give us assurance. Okay, let's move on to little e in your notes. Little e is this. We as people can be made glad and filled with joy because of his victory. We as people can be made glad and filled with joy because of his victory. Would that describe you, by the way, in this moment? Are you filled with joy right now? Are you filled with gladness? I very often am not. So I got a lot of work to do here. But anyhow, verse 8 talks about how Zion, Zion, by the way, is code speak for ancient Jerusalem, that ancient city. And, and, and Zion hears about God's judgments and is what? They are glad. They rejoice when they hear about God's judgments on their behalf, defending them. And at the time of writing, it's possible that Jerusalem, when Psalm 97 was being written, they had just gained victory over an enemy. And in a similar but greater way, the Lord Jesus Christ, he has fought for us. And through his cross and through his resurrection, Jesus Christ gives us, God's people, victory. He's won for us. And that should result in copious amounts of joy and gladness in us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 55 to 57 talks about this victory that Jesus gained for us. And it says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You may have seen in history class, did they teach you about World War II in history class back in the day, high school, university, or earlier? And in history class, um, you may have seen some pictures from what is known as Victory Day. It's the final day of the Second World War. And the Second World War was just horrendous. Tens of millions of people were killed and just horrible atrocities committed worldwide. And it was just horrible. And on Victory Day, when the Nazis finally surrendered, what happened? A massive party just erupted in the streets partying everywhere across the world in all, the, all of the major Western world cities. Here's one picture of just one party. And they're having a great old time. I'm sure somebody got injured in this situation. Uh, you know, I don't recommend this sort of thing, but they are so filled with joy and gladness that they are willing to risk their life and hang off, you know, the side of a car like that and probably, you know, injure themselves. They don't care. It's time to party, right? It's time to party. And it's hard for us to grasp just how happy they were on V-Day, on Victory Day. How many family members had they lost to the war? How many friends had they lost to the Second World War? And here's what this means. They lived and breathed that victory. They lived and they breathed that victory. And my point is, so must you and I live and breathe the victory that Jesus has won for us by his cross and by his resurrection. You know what Jesus did? He lived our life for us in our place, and he lived perfectly for us on our behalf because you and I could not live perfectly. Jesus then died our death on the cross for our sins in our place. Jesus paid the death penalty for us. He was the perfect sacrifice, you see, and only his death on the cross could assuage God's wrath away from us and take it away. He paid that price for us. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead to gain victory over Satan, sin, and death forevermore. And Jesus Christ invites any and all to come to him, to repent of your sins, turn away from you living your own life according to your own set of rules. Come to Jesus, make Jesus your king. 
place your faith and trust in what Jesus has done for you in his life, death, and resurrection. You say, I believe in you, Jesus. I believe what you did for me. It happened. And you, you need to be baptized. And if you want to take that next step towards Jesus today, let's have a conversation after the service or talk to one of the elders at this church. Because of Jesus' victory on the cross, we, his people, should live and breathe gladness and joy each day. Let's move on to little f in your notes. We're, we're making good time here. We're hanging in there. There's only two more points. Little f is this. We, his people, can be made glad and joyful because he preserves and delivers us from evil. We can be made glad and joyful because he preserves and delivers us from evil. In other words, according to verse 10, if you love God, there is even more reason to be made glad and joyful. Why? Because he will preserve you from evil. He will deliver you from evil. This is very good news. Thank you, God. Thank you for your son. Now, I'm going to share with you a bit of a lame illustration. Um, sometimes illustrations don't do justice to the spiritual truth that I'm trying to point you to through the illustration, but bear with me. Here it is. I'm talking a lot about the farm. I don't know. Maybe I missed the farm. I'm not sure what's going on, but anyhow, I am going to talk about um, this idea of preserving something, and on the farm that I grew up on, uh, despite our very short growing season in northern Alberta, uh, we ourselves had lots of space, so therefore we had a huge garden, had a huge garden, okay? And it's so much so that we never actually ate everything that we harvested. And this huge garden, uh, what you would have to do in order to enjoy the fruits of the harvest all year round, what did you need to do with your fruits and your veggies and so forth? You needed to can everything, pickle everything, all right? You needed to preserve as much fruit as you could because you wanted to enjoy, you know, those choke cherries and that choke cherry jam and strawberry jam all year round, okay? So that's what we did. And so once we pickled our pickles and jammed all our jams, we placed them in a special place in the basement of our farmhouse called the cold room. Now, the cold room as a child was a very scary place. It was very cold and it was very dark, and it didn't smell so good, very musty. It wasn't pretty. Life on the farm is not all it's cracked up to be sometimes. But anyhow, the cold room, it was actually a scary place, but it was a very effective place to place your pickles and your jams, and it, was, it worked really well. It was quite a large room, actually. But here's the thing. Like I said, we produced so much fruits and veggies and, and all kinds of stuff that we, we, we produced more than we actually took in and actually ate. And so there were a couple of times in my memory that we, we decided, you know what, we've got to clean out the cold room. There's too much stuff in here, and we're not eating everything. Let's, let's pitch the old stuff, okay? And what we discovered was we had some jars of pickles from 10, 15, 20 years previous. Okay, jams that were 10 years old, 15 years old, 20 years old. And we dared ourselves, you know what? It's not moldy or anything. Let's open this up and try these pickles and these jams. You know what we discovered? They were perfectly preserved, and they tasted fantastic. Don't do this, by the way. Don't do this. Sometimes there are things, you know, it, it looks good, but it's actually not good, you know what I'm saying? It tasted fantastic, though. Don't do that. But did, did you catch my point? God promises through your faith, your ongoing faith in His Son, the Lord Jesus, he promises to preserve you, to preserve all his people for eternity. 
no matter what this world might try to do to you, therefore be glad. Be glad for the preservation that God promises you and is giving you right now. Be joyful, be hopeful as you look to the future with God in our crazy nutso world in which we live. Let's now move on to our final point in your notes. It is little point G. It says, assurance from God does not come from seeing events happen in the world, but from faith and trust that Jesus reigns and is victorious. Assurance from God does not come from seeing events happen in the world, but from faith and trust that Jesus reigns and is victorious. And for me, this point was really helpful, really encouraging. You know, if you look at world events today, it's kind of crazy. And it's like when you watch the news today, it's like watching a giant house on fire. And it's like, wow, that's just, that look, looks terrible. And that's kind of what our world is like today. There's all kinds of ridiculous things going on, terrible things going on in our world, or just annoying things going on in our world. And very often, it can be just discouraging to ever watch the news or ever try to stay in tune to what's going on in the world in which we live. You know, and we might find ourselves asking the question, God, why? Why are, where are you in the midst of this insane world? Why is all this happening? What's the purpose of all this nonsense? But then we look at verses 11 and 12. And verse 11 says that light is sown for the righteous. And Jesus is the only one that makes us righteous, by the way. We're not righteous in and of ourselves. He cleanses us from our sins, makes us righteous. But anyhow, light is sown for the righteous. Think about that. That's like planting seeds in the ground that later sprout up and blossom later on. Well, in the same way does the Lord, he sows light for you and I that will sprout up and blossom later. Okay, that's quite a concept. Sowing light in the ground that will blossom and come to fruition later. And so what this means is the full view of God's victory over evil and idolatry is coming. We don't have the full view today, but it's coming. The full view is coming. And we see sneak previews of it today when we look at nature and and other things. The light is sown. It's kind of covered up, kind of underground for the time being, if you will. But a day is coming. The Bible talks about faith is going to be sight. Faith is being certain of what we hope for and, and, and certain of what we do not see. And so faith will no longer at some point in the future be required because faith will become sight. We can see Jesus in all his glory. There's no more mystery anymore. There's no more being covered up anymore. The light is sown and it will come into full glory, full sight. The glory of God is everywhere. Jesus will come again. He will take his people home to live with with him in the new heavens and the new earth forevermore. This is a great hope. Therefore, for now... Christian, rest assured, don't be distracted by all the nonsense and all the evil, nasty stuff that's going on in the world today. The fact that evil is in the world today does not negate God's promise or God's presence. The fact that there's evil and suffering in our world today does not negate God's presence or God's promises. So keep trusting, keep following no matter what, keep obeying Jesus in the storm of life in which we live. He has sown light for you. And someday that light will be revealed, will be seen. And so be glad, be joyful, be assured in Christ today. Hopefully that's encouraging. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your good promises. Thank you, Jesus, for earning salvation for us, 
for giving us hope. We would have been lost without you intervening for us, and we're so grateful for your life lived for us, for your death died for us on the cross, and for your resurrection. Your resurrection is our resurrection. And we look forward to faith becoming sight, seeing you in all your glory, you bringing about justice for your people, taking us home to live with you forevermore. Help us to live in full assurance of your greatness and of your glory and of your justice. Lord Jesus, we come to the Lord's Supper today, and the reason, as you know, we celebrate this each and every Sunday is to honor you, is to remember and celebrate all that you've done and earned for us on our behalf. And so, Lord, would you examine us in this moment and just help us to point out sins that we need to repent of and walk away from and to be made right with you in this moment here today. In Christ's name, amen.